Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.26 a.m. on a Friday. This, the 27th of May, 2022. This is episode 597 of Bitcoin and big oil coming to kill us all. Let's just get Friday rolling with Bitcoin Magazine, Zach Vol. These public oil companies are joining forces with Bitcoin miners to reshape the industry. Yeah, they are. Let me actually just make a, a at least one comment before we even get into this shit. It is should be of no surprise. However, it did come as a surprise to me just how easily Bitcoin fit into the mindset of the ancient practice of producing energy, specifically in this case, oil and gas, the way it works, the way that you can, oh, I don't know, put miners on land anywhere because they're relatively mobile and get gas out of the ground power miners with it through electrical generation. And you know what that actually resembles? Drilling rigs. While much more bulky, by far, drilling rigs are essentially mobile. That's right. These giant derricks that you see, not not the ones offshore. That's that's a different deal altogether. But if you if you roll through West Texas, right, or or any kind of you know, point in the United States where oil exploration is being done, you will see an oil derrick. And if you don't know what an oil derrick looks like, well, then I don't know. Search for it on the interwebs. These things are massive critters. But like Bitcoin mining operations that are also mobile, they sit on land and they recover gas and oil that has been locked away underneath said land for, you know, eons, right? So, the way leases work, the way that you essentially don't own the land, but you sort of lease it from the landowner and that landowner gets a percentage of what's produced. And it used to be, I discovered this from my sister, in the olden days, it was 12.5%. So if I owned like a little patch of land and some guy you know, from Gulf Oil said, I, we think that there's oil on your land, we want to drill for it, uh, we'll cover all the cost. We'll do all the prep. We'll do all the drill. You you essentially don't got to do dick. And we will pay you 12.5% of whatever we pull out of the ground. That is now coming up to 25%. See, I used to think it was switched, that it was 25% back in the day and has now dropped to 12.5%. But no, 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 no. It used to be 12.5% and it's increased to a full quarter of an interest. This is this the exact same thing works with Bitcoin mining in a mobile setting. 
you will put stuff on somebody's land and you will work a deal not only with the landowner, but you will probably work, you'll definitely work a deal with the oil company that you're burning their, uh, their flare gas off of. They may actually work with the owner through their own lease situation so that whatever revenue you get from Bitcoin mining, you're going to dump 125 to 25% of that to the, to the leaseholder when they finally get their shit together, when the oil companies finally figure this shit out, they're just going to use the old, the model of olden yore, right? So, but it fits. It's so easy for these guys to understand. The only thing that you have, that we have to do is get them to understand the actual economics of Bitcoin. And that starts with how screwed up the fiat system is. But once they one, and most of them actually kind of already know that. So it's an easy lead into how Bitcoin works. And then from there, it's a really easy lead because the model that we can choose to use to get these guys to do all the stuff is the model that we've been using for decades. They don't have to reimagine it. They don't have to re-understand it. They don't have to learn a new model. That's one of the reasons why these guys, the oil and gas companies, are going to be our very best friends. The other reason is because, well, without them, everybody dies. And if you don't believe that, I'm I'm sorry, but that's just the way it rolls, bro. The, what we've built with oil and gas cannot be unbuilt or powered by anything other than oil and gas for the foreseeable future, or at least until we get our little red wagons in line and do nuclear again. But I don't see that coming anytime soon. So let's jump into this one from Zach Volt. One of the world's largest industries, oil and gas, is converging with magic internet money infrastructure, but Bitcoin's prolonged market sell-off has taken some of the shine off these monumental partnerships Some cryptocurrency traders are even facetiously asking if energy will be a new bullish narrative for Bitcoin, bringing wind to fill its metaphorical sales as the leading cryptocurrency sits just over 50% below its record price highs from late 2021. Jokes aside, the energy narrative for Bitcoin mining is real and gaining momentum as a growing list of mining companies and energy producers join forces. Assessing the short-term price implications of these partnerships are well outside the scope of this article, but the long-term benefits for Bitcoin mining as an industry and the broader Bitcoin economy are enormous. North American mining partnerships. Let's start here. In the news media and general discourse, the focus on partnerships between miners and oil companies has primarily centered on North America. Most of this attention is being paid here for good reason, as several of the largest names in the oil industry are working with North American miners. In 2021, ExxonMobil exported or rather reported annual revenue of more than $285 billion dollars with global daily production during the same period reaching more than 2 million barrels per day of oil and gas. This titan of an oil industry is, or in the oil industry, is also reportedly working with the Bitcoin mining company in North Dakota to turn otherwise wasted gas into energy for mining operations. This news spread like wildfire through the Bitcoin community when it was first published, but some off-grid mining teams already knew of Exxon's relationships with miners. In August the 
In August of 2021, for example, Giga Energy co-founder Matt Lostro said Exxon was already selling some gas to miners. But as the premise of this article suggests, Exxon is far from the only oil company dealing with miners. ConocoPhillips is also supplying gas to Bitcoin miners, which has been widely reported by various mainstream media outlets, including CNBC and Bloomberg. Marathon Oil, a multi-billion dollar oil company based in Houston, also powers co-located Bitcoin mining operations with its gas. On its website's page about emissions control, Marathon indicates it uses gas that would otherwise be flared due to a lack of gas connection or gas takeaway capacity constraints to generate electricity to power co-located compute and data centers used for Bitcoin mining. EOG Resources, Another American oil company is also rumored to be dealing with miners by members of the industry, although official deals have not yet been reported. And Texas Pacific Land recently signed a deal with two mining companies, Mawson and J Energy, to begin what J Energy co-founder Ryan Leachman called the biggest Bitcoin-related announcement for oil and gas to date. In indeed, if I reported on that a couple of uh, just a couple of episodes ago, if you want to go look for it. Uh, Texas Pacific land is, uh, that's that. Well, that's almost a million acres of West Texas land over both the Midland basin and the Delaware basin that comprise the Permian basin. Okay. Cause there's, there's actually, well, I won't get into the geology of it, but there's, there's two basins and most people focus on what's going on in the upper North uh, east part of the Permian Basin in Midland County, Odessa County, Dawson, Seminole, all that kind of shit. But there's a whole other half of the Permian Basin that honestly is kind of untapped, and that's the Delaware basis, Basin to the southwest. Texas Pacific Land owns a million acres in both. That's a huge deal. So you need to really, really keep an eye on TPL as we go forward. American companies aren't the only ones making headlines for their Bitcoin and oil deals, though. A subsidiary of, Russia, a subsidiary of Russian oil and gas giant Gazprom has been planning to build its own Bitcoin mining venture on its oil drilling sites since late 2020. Below the equator, oil wells in remote areas of Australia are being used by Canadian gas company Bengal Energy, to power Bitcoin mining machines. According to a report from The Australian, Bengal CEO Kai Eberspecher said his team is dealing with stranded assets, adding that we are basically looking at six months of having wells ready, but without an outlet. Well, that sounds like a perfect fit for some off-grid hashing. Bitcoin mining as an industry gains mainstream legitimacy as more traditional energy companies start to work with Bitcoin miners, even though the total magnitude of ongoing partnerships is small relative to the entire mining industry, let alone the global energy market, the significance of these few deals cannot be understated. Exxon and others are sprinkling legitimacy on a historically maligned, misunderstood, and shadowed industry. These are some of the largest names in oil and gas production working with companies who manage compute power for a barely decade and a half old magic internet money industry. Even four years ago, the idea of all these names inking contracts with mining companies would be nearly unbelievable. Other metaphorical dominoes will inevitably fall soon. Related to its legitimacy in the <clears throat> is the effect 
that these partnerships have on Bitcoin mining taking place as energy infrastructure on or off the electric grid. Speaking to the audience at Bitcoin 2022, Paul Prager, CEO of public mining company TerraWolf, said, quote, Bitcoin mining is energy infrastructure. That's what it is, end quote. <clears throat> that notion is hard to ignore as corporate energy titans sign deals with Bitcoin miners. Of course, these mining partnerships occupy a very small share of Bitcoin's total hash rate, but that share is sure to grow in the coming years. A future where every major oil producer is also a Bitcoin miner is very easy to imagine and could become reality soon. Particularly for the oil and gas industry, Bitcoin miners continue to make inroads with more reported deals between the two industries. The milestones that these partnerships represent would be nearly unimaginable three to five years ago. Even though Bitcoin's price is well off its record highs, the future for the infrastructure undergirding the Bitcoin network is brighter than ever. The union between oil producers and Bitcoin miners is just beginning. And if that doesn't scare the living shit out of IMF, World Bank, World Economic Forum, and all the other international globalist people, I don't know what would. I honestly don't. Because it's not, you can be scared, you can be terrified of Bitcoin just all by itself. Well, that's okay. We'll figure out a way to, you know, turn off their access to the grid or something like that. But now... When you sheathe the Bitcoin sword into the belt of oil and gas, I always talk about Bitcoin as a weapon. I don't think even I have an idea just how, how this son of a bitch can be wielded by somebody like ConocoPhillips. And what's great about it is that even Exxon, ConocoPhillips, Phillips, whatever, Gazprom, Shell, Royal Dutch Shell, I, it doesn't matter they are still not going to be able to control Bitcoin. There's, it is uncontrollable. So they can use the weapon for good, but if they start trying to use the weapon against the weapon itself, it will disintegrate in their hands. It'll be like, it'll be like fucking Excalibur or something like that. Like your lady of the lake, you know, pops up, says, hey, Arthur, have this badass sword. And all of a sudden, Arthur's like looking at it and tries to figure out a way to start immediately figuring out a way to try to break the sword, well, that sword's going to go away. Now, Lady of the Lake's going to go, you're an idiot. Give, give, give that back. You know, I'll, I'll give it to somebody else who's not such a fucking moron. So I don't believe that even under pressure from globalist things like IMF, World Bank, that the energy companies are going to turn against the very thing that ensures their survival for the next few decades because they i mean they're, they've been maligned oil companies and gas companies they're they're completely have been maligned over the last 25 years oh you're polluting the environment oh for fuck's sake everything pollutes the environment right everything pollutes the environment and if you think you're going to get high quality surgeries done when we shut off the oil spigots wow then you don't understand where a shit ton of plastics are actually used. You might want to actually take a look at how much plastic is used in hospitals just in the United States by itself. And if you take all that away, because that's where plastic comes from, from oil, you've got a problem. You have a problem. 
you will end up, you, you will talk about people like wanting to push us back into the 1950s. Yeah, we had plastic in the 1950s. We're talking going all the way back to 1850. That's what we're talking about when it comes to medical care without oil. Even if we cease to burn every drop of oil for its inherent energy capacity, you would still need to drill oil, at least until someone can come up with a way to just, I don't know, somehow or another replicate plastic and polymers without needing to get the raw materials, which means that you need to stitch together nitrogen and carbon and oxygen in very specific ways, in very long chains. Good luck with all of that. And good luck with all of this. <clears throat> Terra to burn 1 billion UST from the community pool as hodlers vote for it. Okay, you know what this could actually mean is that the, 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 the headline that I would have given this is that Duquan is lighting on fire a building that has already burned down and burned right to freaking ash. Cointelegraph Ezra Reguera has it. In another attempt to support the revival of Terra Luna, the community voted to burn a large amount of UST from its community pool. Earlier in May, Terra founder Du Quan explained that a potential solution to the Terra debacle is to absorb the stable coin supply. And in response to this, users proposed the, the burning, the burning of 1 billion Terra US or Terra USD, which is the UST coin that was stored in Terra's community pool and the remaining cross-chain UST that's deployed on the Ethereum blockchain as incentives. According to the proposal, the burn will help reduce the outstanding bad debt of the Terra economy. Apart from this, it's also expected to play a significant part in restoring the UST dollar peg by eliminating a big chunk of excess supply. The proposal, submitted on May the 12th, was expected to be finalized after seven days. However, it failed to execute due to a mismatch in the amount of UST in the community pool and the proposal. Oh, so they didn't even know how much they had. That's not a good sign either. This is because of another proposal that was executed resulting in the removal of some funds from the pool. So now the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Sounds like government. Despite this, the community created another proposal on May the 20th to proceed with the burn. After seven days, the proposal has finally passed with a shit ton of idiots voting in favor of burning the UST supply. Apart from community burning efforts to support the project, crypto exchange MEXC Global also committed to a month-long buyback and burn for Luna. You guys... The exchange platform pledged to use the trading fees earned from the new Luna USDT spot trading pair to buy Luna and send it to the burning wallet address. Despite sharing a burn address with the Terra community, Quan is not in favor of burning. The infamous Terra founder warned the lunatics about sending Luna to the burning address. According to Quan, burning will not do anything. He told users that nothing happens except that you lose your tokens. Ooh, guys, stop with the madness. Nothing saves this thing. Nothing. There is nothing that will save this. Sure, it'll not get delisted. Why? Because there's always going to be degens on the other side of this thing that are trying to, I don't know, get 10% on a sub one penny token. This is just, it's just entered into the realm of penny stocks. 
And there's all manner of penny stocks of companies that are worth nothing. Shit, some of those companies, quite a few of those penny stock companies don't even really exist. They were, they filed bankruptcy long ago. And yet in some places, not on the NYSE, but in some other places on smaller exchanges, you can still trade that shit. And it's, it's just gambling. And this is reprehensible. The whole notion of Terra and Luna was reprehensible to begin with. Now, after it's crashed, they're going to resurrect this son of a bitch and they're going to do it all over again, except it's never, ever going to reach back to a dollar peg. They'll be lucky. They'll be lucky to get 25 cents. And at that point, it's just a bunch of DGENs trading it back and forth, hoping that... (laughs) hoping that their falling wedge actually is right. I don't know. World Economic Forum shit. Ansel Lindner, one of the OGs in the space and one of the first guys that I started with when I entered in 2015, is writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine, The History of Davos and the World Economic Forum. We ask ourselves constantly, who is Klaus Schwab and how the hell did this thing come in, come into being and why does anybody go and why do we listen to them and Uh, maybe Ansel has some answers for us. Who knows? The week of May 23rd, 2022 was a slightly slower news cycle in macro and Bitcoin. So I'm taking the opportunity to begin a new series discussing the history of important international institutions like central banks, the International Monetary Fund, and this week, the World Economic Forum. The history portion takes up about half of his show and the rest of is the probing questions and answers mentioned above. FedWatch is the macro podcast for Bitcoiners, and FedWatch is really good. He's talking about his own, he's, he's shilling his own shit, but that's okay. His cat food actually tastes pretty good. FedWatch is the macro podcast for Bitcoiners. Each episode, they discuss current events in macro from across the globe with an emphasis on central banks and currency matters. So the beginnings of Davos in the World Economic Forum. Davos, which is in Switzerland, is the name and place for the yearly meeting of the World Economic Forum. Originally called the European Management Forum, it was founded in, you guessed it, 1971 by a business professor in Geneva, the infamous Klaus Schwab. That should be a familiar year for Bitcoiners because it's the same year President Nixon took the United States off the remnant of the gold standard. At first, Davos was a small conference of European businessmen discussing Klaus Schwab's idea of stakeholder capitalism, proof of stake. Compared to unbridled capitalism, this new stakeholder idea expanded the ethical duty of the corporation from serving customers and shareholders to also serving employees and suppliers in a socially responsible way. Schwab took this idea further down the slippery slope, outlining an ethical duty to the community and society as well. Shareholder capitalism is simply a subtle way to make capitalism, well, more socialist. In 1987, the European Management Forum changed its name to the World Economic Forum and its yearly meeting to Davos. What are the achievements of Davos? Well, one would expect an institution as famous and well-regarded as the World Economic Forum that they would have many achievements to their name. However, Even after 50 years, the list of achievements is short. The WEF claims claims a hand in stopping a Turkish and Greek war in 1987. 
a role in German reunification and helping to end apartheid in South Africa by hosting a handshake between Nelson Mandela and Frederick de Klerk in 1992. That's about it. Recently, they have claimed some victories on the environmental front, though. Then, what has the WEF been up to all these years? This is where it gets interesting. In 2004, Klaus Schwab created the Forum of Young Global Leaders. It is a yearly program that graduates roughly 100 young leaders from around the world who are destined to high offices. That should set alarm bells off for you, either in government, business, or culture. The program boasts 1,400 alumni that include presidents and prime ministers along with some of the wealthiest, most influential people in the world like Elon Musk and Mark the Android Zuckerberg. <clears throat> These young leaders are indoctrinated into the WEF's brand of Marxism, which you will commonly hear called globalism, the modern incarnation of stakeholder capitalism. You know something is pushing a global Marxist agenda when you hear terms like socially responsible, global governance, climate action, and management of all sorts. So COVID-19 gave the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab the break that they were waiting for. Schwab rapidly released his new book called The Great Reset, making headlines around the world. If you didn't know about the WEF prior to COVID, you do now. The Great Reset is a call for a complete remaking of our world along the lines of stakeholder capitalism and the WEF's brand of Marxism. Its famous marketing tagline is, you will, know, you will own nothing and be happy. Yet again, a conspiracy theory becomes a conspiracy fact. Quote, as we enter a unique window of opportunity to shape the recovery, this initiative will offer insights to help inform all those determining the future state of global relations, the direction of national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of a global commons. Drawing from the vision and vast expertise of the leaders engaged across the forum's communities, the Great Reset Initiative has a set of dimensions to build a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. End quote from the World Economic Foundation or <laughs> Forum. Klaus Schwab has a deep Marxist past with start, that starts with his father, Helder Camara from South America. Camara was invited to speak at the 1974 meeting of the then European Management Forum. And in that speech, Father Camara called for wealth distribution in very clear language. He also became the first in a string of liberation theology priests to speak at the meeting over the next few years. He was a well-known revolutionary Marxist and persona non grata to many governments, but also the person whom Schwab has called his spiritual father. His influence was much more broad than just the WEF. Camera was also mentor to Paolo Freire, author of Pedagogy of the Oppressed, the third most cited book in the social sciences and underpins modern identity Marxism that has infiltrated Western schools. A third disciple of Camera is Pope Francis, known in some circles as the Marxist Pope. Quote, If one person lacks what is necessary to live with dignity, it is because another person is detaining it. The right to private property can only be considered a secondary natural right derived from the principle of the universal destination of created goods, said Pope Francis. Hey, you might, I'm just pausing here to remind you that the Catholic Church is the largest private holder of real estate 
in the world and have been such for centuries. Let that sink in. Do you think they're going to give any of that shit up? No, this is not about them. This is about you. They hate you, which is too bad because Catholicism and all its problems that it has, it didn't used to be like this. But you got to go back centuries when there was at least some decent people, more than centuries. You know, you're talking about like, you got to go back to the roots of Catholicism, like 800 AD, 700 AD, when the, the Christian church was established, but it really wasn't kind of unified. But now, screw all that. You got a wall around the fucking Vatican. It's not even part of Italy, right? Even though it's, you know, in Italy, it is its own thing and they own more art, they own more wealth, they own more books, they mo- own more of everything that you can imagine. And I guarantee you they are not going to give up a single shilling. But screw it, let's move on. What have what we have here is the WEF playing a role in a large-scale Marxist attack on, uh, attack on our society. The three disciples of Kibera, one being Klaus Schwab, play major roles in education, religion, and business Before we move on to the question and answer segment, I outline a few times the WEF has spoken about Bitcoin. They are very much against Bitcoin mining and often have levied attacks against it. In November of 2021, they produced a series of white papers about stablecoins and central bank digital currencies. These halfway steps are, of course, the WEF's preferred way to appear to embrace Bitcoin's revolution while not really embracing anything new. CBDCs in particular are a wonderful way for the WEF and like-minded globalists to co-opt the Bitcoin revolution and use it to increase their own power and influence. Ah, so there you go. Again, Ansel Lidner, Lid, I can't ever pronounce his name. L-I-N-D-N-E-R. Ansel Lindner is not probably the way you pronounce it. I've heard it pronounced several times and I, I never can get it. Okay. I just, I never can get it right. Sorry, Ansel. But if you are listening, dude, you were a huge reason why I'm here and I have nothing but thanks to give you. Please go subscribe to FedWatch because if you want to learn the deeper rabbit holes that learn about the deeper rabbit holes that exist with legacy financial shit and why it's all screwed up. Dude, Ansel's your man. Speaking of legacy financial shit, let's run the numbers. Futures and commodities. We've got... Everything seems a little meh today, probably because it's Friday, but West Texas Intermediate down a quarter of a point. Still at $113.84, though. Brent North Sea up a quarter of a point to $117.73. Natural gas took a punch in the face, six and a quarter percent to the downside, but still $8.33 ain't nothing to sneeze at. That's kind of a high number for natural gas. Gasoline that you put in your car is up 0.18% to $3.88. And I'm in the panhandle of Texas and down the street from me, Yesterday, for the first time, I've seen, I think, ever, um, or at least uh, over the last few years, uh, gasoline uh, for just regular unleaded 
hit like $4.11. And we have some of the cheapest gas that there is. If you're listening and you're from Austin, you're probably, your mouth is probably open. Yeah, mine is too, because I gas up here. And when I was driving to the Beef Initiative in Kerrville, Texas, I just, my mouth just got wider and wider and wider as I got closer and closer to Kerrville. And I was like, how the hell are these people paying these prices when gasoline is just off the coast and I'm all the way on the other side of the state? And I'm not exactly, you know, I mean, I'm only four hours from Midland and Odessa, which is a shit ton of gas refining, but still they're not all that far away from Houston where there's even 10 X that, and I still don't know why they're paying as much as they're paying, not in Texas. I mean, California, yeah, I can see that. New Mexico, Colorado, well, hell yeah, they don't have any refining capacity whatsoever. So that I can see, but man, I mean, I was paying like, I was paying like 480 in Kerrville for gas, and that was a month ago. Holy shit. Anyway, shiny metal rocks are all up, but not by a whole lot. Gold up a third, $1,853.50. Silver is up one and a half to $22.28. Platinum is up a half. Copper is up almost a full point, and nobody gives a shit about palladium because it's unchanged. Agricultural futures are all up except chocolate, which is down scant. Biggest winner in ag today is corn at one and a half percent to the upside, followed by wheat, which is three quarters of a percent to the upside. Dow up over half a point. S&P up one and a, God, one and a third points. NASDAQ is up, ooh, 1.75%. S&P mini up 1.19%. Apparently the recession is over. No, that's just the plunge protection team because they don't want to lose their ass. Eventually it'll happen though. $29,210.81 is the price for Bitcoin currently. We have just over 1 million BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's about 43,000 Bitcoin every hour on the hour. Average transaction values for BTC. Median transaction value is holding at 0.02 BTC. $575. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 26 seconds. 0.126 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 16.9 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours. With a scant 1% jump in hash rate, we are above 200 at 209.72 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator has dipped below 8 pennies to 7.9 United States pennies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All the shit coins were getting so hammered yesterday. And honestly, <clears throat> not even in comparison with like US or uh, Bitcoin and shit coin pairs. If I'm just, if I was just looking yesterday for a good part of the afternoon, if I was looking at BTC in terms of the United States dollar, it was the only one in the green and everything else was like dumping by five, six, in some cases, double digits. All the shit coins are getting wrecked. Just be careful out there. Don't deal in shit coins. Buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. 5,500 Bitcoin transactions are waiting on three blocks to clear. With a 557.9 billion market cap, that is four and a half percent of gold's entire market cap. And lo and behold, we can only purchase 15.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 
19,050,635.93 of. Now, 3,916 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $114.6 million, running over 17,063 nodes, sporting 83,926 payment channels, and 72.6% of all that is being run over the magic of Tor and the associated 11,963 Tor Lightning nodes, or at least the ones that we know about. Vitals! Welcome to part two of the news you can use. <clears throat> we go from Ansel Lindner's thing about Davos to one of the most famed Davos members that there are, Christine Lagarde. The ECB chief and Bitcoin critic says her son trades crypto. <laughs> you know, the, the real news out of this is that <clears throat> she's not going to win a Darwin Award for dying before she was able to pass on her genes into the gene pool. So we have to deal with her and her progeny for yet another generation. <clears throat> European Central Bank President and Christine, or and Bitcoin critic Christine Lagarde has admitted that she has a son who has invested in cryptocurrencies but still says she won't touch digital assets. Man, I'm getting Peter Schiff vibes. I really am. <clears throat> On the Dutch program college tour, the banker was asked by an audience member if she owned any crypto. Quote, no, I don't have any crypto because I want to practice what I preach. I actually have a son who invested in crypto. I follow very carefully. Yeah, she's buying by proxy. <laughs> the audience member then asked, and what have you taken away from that? Lagarde responded, quote, that I would not put my finger in there. She added that her son wouldn't listen to her advice about staying away from crypto. Lagarde is a fierce critic of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Just this week, she said that such assets are worth nothing. Quote, it's based on nothing. There's no underlying asset to act as an anchor of safety. I've said all along that crypto assets are highly speculative, highly risky assets. Well, Christine, yes. All of the shitcoin and the cryptocurrency space is 100% scam. Thankfully, Bitcoin is not in, in that camp. Previously, The Economist said, it was very unlikely central banks would hold Bitcoin and claim the biggest cryptocurrency was a highly speculative asset involved in money laundering. Yeah, we call that in today's age, foreign aid. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to, keep, you need to start watching all this shit about all the foreign aid. It's becoming very clear that this is money laundering on a governmental scale. But I digress. Lagarde is very enthusiastic about centralized cryptocurrencies, yay, namely central bank digital currencies. A CBDC is a digital form of fiat money like the US dollar or the euro, and many nations around the world are in different stages of researching and releasing them. Lagarde has previously called the idea of a digital euro important and something that could benefit the trading block. The EU said in February that it would consider legislation to create a digital euro by early 2023. Also on the college tour show, Lagarde was asked about inflation and how she would bring it down. Quote, in due course, it will come. End quote, she said. Wait, what? What, what what about inflation, which is cr bone crushing everybody that isn't super wealthy like you? And her response is literally, let them eat cake. 
in due course it will come in what you know it's kind of blowing my mind so let's get on to kathy woods kathy's been having some ordeals by the way so i don't know i i don't know is she a pure shit coiner no she started with bitcoin but she's diversified her portfolio whatever i don't care still she's trying for a spot Bitcoin ETF. I think that's important. Helen Parts does too, because she's write, written a whole article for Tel Cointelegraph about it. Kathy Wood's ARK and 21 shares refile for a spot Bitcoin ETF. ARK Investment Management and investment firm founded by veteran investor Kathy Wood is taking another try to launch a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund in the United States. ARK Invest submitted on May the 13th yet another application for its physical Bitcoin ETF, the ARK 21 Shares Bitcoin ETF, according to a filing with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. The application includes a proposed rule change from the Chicago Board Options Exchange, BZX, um, <coughs> sorry, according to Bloomberg ETF analyst Henry Jim, the latest deadline for approval or disapproval of the ARK 21 shares Bitcoin ETF is January 24th, 2023. So we're not going to know about this shit for six months or seven. The latest filing comes shortly after the SEC rejected the application for the ARK 21 shares Bitcoin ETF in early April. ARK Invest had initially partnered with the European ETF issuer 21 shares to file for a spot Bitcoin ETF listed on CBOE BZX exchange in June of 2021. According to the latest filing, the investment objective of the ARK21 shares Bitcoin ETF is to seek to track the performance of Bitcoin in accordance with the performance of the S&P Bitcoin index. Quote, in seeking to achieve its investment objective, the trust will hold Bitcoin and will value the shares daily based on the index the application reads. A potential approval of the spot Bitcoin ETF by the SEC remains one of the most anticipated events in the community as the SEC has not approved any of multiple spot Bitcoin ETF applications to date. According to ETF analysts, a spot Bitcoin ETF could become real in mid-2023. Cryptocurrency investment giant Grayscale is among several companies that have been moving aggressively to launch a spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States. In late March, Grayscale CEO Michael Schoenenschein said that the firm was ready to initiate legal fights if Grayscale's BTC spot ETF was denied by the SEC. Yeah, well, do we need it? We need it now. We didn't need any ETF to begin with, but we got them. And what did we get? We got pure garbage, degenerate gambling casino derivative futures ETFs. That's what we got. Everybody was beating the drum for, a, for an ETF. Half of us were like, okay, it could be interesting to see if it happens, but do we, does Bitcoin need it? No, Bitcoin doesn't need it. You can just buy it. Anybody can buy it. You can buy as little as you want of it. I'm serious. You don't have to have a whole Bitcoin. You can just buy, you can buy 25 bucks. You can buy 50. I, I do a buy every single week and it sure as shit isn't one whole Bitcoin. So if you're still operating under the notion that you have to buy a whole Bitcoin, stop it. Stop. Go buy 25 bucks over on Swan Bitcoin. Okay? Just go do it. And, and then you'll go, oh, 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 I don't have to have a whole Bitcoin. Even if you think that you might need one and it's probably good to work towards.
Okay, let's see. What are we going to do? Oh, Orban. Mm-hmm. Bloomberg. I'm surprised they're letting me read this article because I don't have a Bloomberg subscription, but for whatever reason, I have it and it's important. Orban, empowered, orders companies to hand over extra profit. Do, you, do I need to read that again? Do I? Orban orders companies to hand over extra profit. What? I, how do you even define what extra profit? What? Okay, let's just find out from Zoltan Simon from Bloomberg. Hungarian Prime Minister, Prime Minister Viktor Orban, who seized additional power this week with a state of emergency, of course, said that large companies ranging from energy to airlines will have to turn over their, quote, extra profit to shore up the nation's ailing budget. And it's because you mismanaged everything. And I do mean everything. Banking, insurance, energy, large retail, telecom, and airline industries, sectors dominated by multinational firms, will be ordered to turn over the bulk of their extra profit to two funds this year and next to finance utility price subsidies and the cost of modernizing the military, Orban said in a video message on Wednesday. The fresh financing will help consolidate the Hungarian budget as the European Union imposes an effective funding freeze against Orban's government, which it accuses of flaunting European norms. The Hungarian forint extended losses against the euro after the announcement closing in on a record low. Quote, we ask and we expect that those who made extra profit in this time of war to help the people and contribute to the national defense budget, Orban said. The funding move was Orban's first decision under a wartime state of emergency, which took effect last Wednesday, two days after the premier was sworn into a, get this, fifth term in office. The motherfucker's never going away, allowing his government to rule by decree. He's a dictator. Thank, congratulations, Hungary. You now have a dictator. Good work. Details of the move and its cost will be announced as at a government briefing on Thursday, Orban said, Hungary's budget has been pushed to the brink by record pre-election spending earlier this year ahead of the April 3rd election wind that gave Orban two-thirds control of the Hungarian parliament. Days after Orban's landslide victory, the European Commission triggered a freshly introduced mechanism that allows it to ultimately cut funding to members where graft and rule of law concerns are prevalent. You might want to look at yourself. While some had believed that the tool, which was first used against Hungary, may provide leverage against Orban after more than a decade of power consolidation, there has been no sign of a change of direction in Budapest. The Hungarian leader is currently blocking an EU attempt to impose an oil embargo against Russia over its invasion of Ukraine. Last week, he shared a 12-point blueprint with U.S. Republicans on how to consolidate control, including by building a media empire and new institutions. Holy shit. His ultimate message to them, play by your own rules. The forint dropped 3.1%, the most in more than two months to near a record low, trading at 394.83 to the euro as of 7 p.m. in Budapest. Stocks plunged earlier as OTP Bank Nrit Hungary's largest lender dived 4.7%, while energy company Malnert fell 4%. Holy smokes. 
I want to read this one again, just so we are clear. The Hungarian leader is currently blocking an EU attempt to impose an oil embargo against Russia. All right, so Hungary is apparently on Russia's side. Last week, he shared a 12-point blueprint with United States Republicans on how to consolidate control, including by building a media empire and new institutions his ultimate message to them, play by your own rules. Something smells fishy about that. All right, look, I'm not red team, blue team, but I'm definitely more conservative than I am liberal. Shared a 12-point blueprint with United States Republicans? Who? Who, Bloomberg? Name the names. Which United States Republicans? Were they House of Representatives? Were they Senators? Were they Election Committee people? Who were the Republicans? Were they voters? Were they just like common people? Did Orban just fly over on a jet and like whip out a PowerPoint and said, here's how you gain control over your nation. And the whole issue of building a media empire, I wonder if that's directed at Trump. Orange man can do what orange man wants. But he is not building a media empire to I don't take over the United States. This is this is fear porn at the political root is what this is. Don't trust Bloomberg, but also don't trust this asshole Orban. When a dictator comes and tells you that you're going to turn over your extra profit, that's when I figure out how to get all of my shit into Bitcoin, sell all of my assets, move all of my people that want to go to fucking El Salvador and actually run my company from there and bail out on Hungary like it is a sinking ship because it is clear the rats are in control. Now, let's do this one. Ethereum, the beacon chain has experienced a seven block reorganization. What the hell's going on? Brian Quarmby answers the question from Cointelegraph. Ahead of the merge, tentatively penciled in for August, Shit Chain One, aka Ethereum, Beacon Chain experienced a seven block reorganization on Wednesday. According to data from Beacon Scan, on Wednesday, seven blocks were knocked out of the Beacon Chain between 8.55 a.m. and 8.56 a.m. UTC. The term reorg refers to an event in which a block that was part of a canonical chain, such as the beacon chain, gets knocked off the chain due to a competing block beating it out. It can be the result of a malicious attack from a miner with high resources or a bug. Such incidents see the chain unintentionally fork or duplicate. On this occasion, developers believe that the issue is due to circumstances rather than something serious, such as a security issue or fundamental flaw, of course, with a proposer boost fork being highlighted in particular. The term refers to a method in which specific proposers are given priority for selecting the next block in the blockchain. Core Ethereum developer Preston Van Loon suggested that the reorg was due to a non-trivial segmentation of new and old client software and was not necessarily anything malicious. Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin labeled the theory as a good hypothesis. Martin Noppelman, the co-founder of Ethereum Virtual Machine compatible Gnosis chain, was one of the first to highlight the occurrence via Twitter on Wednesday morning noting that it shows that the current attestation strategy of nodes should be reconsidered to hopefully result in a more stable chain. 
In response to Noppelman, Van Loon tentatively attributed the reorg to the Prosper Boost Fork, or sorry, Proposer Boost Fork, which hadn't fully been implemented yet. Quote, we suspect this is caused by the implementation of Proposer Boost Fork choice has not fully rolled out to the network. This reorg is not an indicator of a flawed fork choice, but a non-trivial segmentation of updated versus out-of-date client software. Quote, all of the details will be made public once we have a high degree of confidence regarding the root cause. Expect a postmortem from the client development community, he added. This is also said, we don't know what the hell's going on and our chain is really, really frail. Earlier on Wednesday, Thursday, sorry, Thursday, another developer, Terrence So Sal, sorry, echoed this hypothesis to his 11,900 Twitter followers, noting that the reorg seemed to be caused by boosted versus non-boosted nodes in the network and the timing of a really late arriving block. Quote, given that the proposer boost is a non-consensus breaking change, with the asynchronicity of the client release schedule, the rollout happened gradually. Not all nodes updated the Prosper boost immediately, end quote. Van Loon spoke at the permissionless conference last week and said that the merge and switch to proof of stake would come in August if everything goes to plan. While the reorg is sure to raise questions about this potential timeline, Van Loon and the other developers have not yet outlined whether it will have any impact at all. It's because they don't know. This is, this is a Rube Goldberg machine that is breaking down in real time. It was never designed to do any of the shit that it does. It was, it was supposed to be a world computer and that you were going to run calculations on said world computer and you were going to pay for that with gas fees. Okay. And the, the Ether token was supposed to be something that you held that would gain in value as the world computer grew. And they have changed so much of the original vision that I don't even know what their vision is any longer. But I guarantee you this, this shit is not going to roll out in August. This is a broken machine. And if you hold Ether right now, I highly recommend getting rid of it, even though this is an investment advice, but I wouldn't touch that shit if it was a ice cream cone and it was 105. Nope, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Billionaire Bill Miller calls Bitcoin insurance against financial catastrophe. Jesse Coughlin, Cointelegraph. Bill Miller the billionaire founder and chief investment officer of investment firm Miller Value Partners, has said he considers Bitcoin an insurance policy against financial catastrophe. Appearing on an episode of Richer, Wiser, Happier podcast on May the 24th, Miller backed the cryptocurrency as a means for those caught in conflict to still access financial products. He used the collapse of financial infrastructure in Afghanistan after the United States withdrawal in August of 2021 as an example. Quote, when the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, Western Union stopped sending remittances there or taking them from Afghanistan. But if you had Bitcoin, you were fine. Your Bitcoin is there. You can send it to anybody in the world if you have a phone, end quote. Miller said examples of how the cryptocurrency can function as insurance don't have to be all or nothing and noted how Bitcoin performed during the early stages of the pandemic 
and the Federal Reserve's reaction to it. Quote, when the Fed stepped in and started gunning the money supply and bailing out, in essence, the mortgage rates, Bitcoin functioned just fine. There was no run on Bitcoin. The system functioned without the Fed and without any interference. Everybody got their Bitcoin. The price adjusted. And then when the Bitcoiners realized, wait, we're going to have inflation down the road, Bitcoin went through the roof, end quote. It's an insurance policy the way I look at it, he added. Miller also rebuked Warren Buffett's recent criticism of Bitcoin, where the billionaire investor famously remarked that it doesn't produce anything and he wouldn't take all of the Bitcoin in the world for even $25. Quote, he said that Bitcoin is a non-productive asset and therefore he can't value it. Fair enough. It's the only thing that you think you can value are productive assets, then no one's making you buy it, right? So just ignore it, end quote. He later followed up his comment, adding, quote, the objective of investing is not to own productive assets. The objective is to make money, end quote. Miller is famous for managing portfolios, uh, which for 15 consecutive years be between 1991 and 2005 consistently beat the returns of the S&P 500 index. He's also known for his advocacy of Bitcoin and put half of his net worth into the asset in January. When asked if he still held that position, Miller confirmed that it was about 40 to 50% of his money was on Amazon stock and Bitcoin holdings were about the same as Amazon, adding that 80% of his net worth is split between those two assets. Miller also discussed the Terra Luna-based tattoo on the arm of Mike Novogratz, the founder of crypto asset management firm Galaxy Digital, after the collapse of the Terra ecosystem. Quote, Somebody had sent me a picture of Mike Novogratz where he got a Luna tattoo on his arm months ago of the wolf howling at the moon, and it's big. It's like, whoops, maybe you should have got a Bitcoin on your arm. It'd be a little more enduring than that one. End quote. Novogratz has said that the tattoo will be a constant reminder that venture investing requires humility. As Galaxy Digital posted a $300 million loss on its Luna investment, quote, I felt bad for him when I saw the story of him going for something like $10 billion to $2 billion, Miller said. I'm like, yeah, that's really tragic. Oh, burn. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. End of the week, let's do it with a joke. My grandma always used to say, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, I don't know if that's true or just one of Granny Smith's. Get it? Granny Smith is a kind of apple. Oh, God. You know what? If you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, it's okay. It's Friday. We get to go do something else. Um, my advice... Don't look at the news. I, I am not talking at all about the shit that happened in Texas. Okay. Except to say that now, and my kids are in public school, but they're in public school in a very, very small town, uh, very rural. Uh, the response was to position armed police officers from the city at the entrances of both of my children's schools. Did it make me feel safe? No, fuck no, it didn't make me feel safe. Because they were armed men? No, no, that's fine. That, that's okay. 
A, it's the fact that we have to, or or we felt compelled to. Let's let's say that. But honestly, I would have felt much better if it had been a whole bunch of dudes in cowboy hats with you know rifles standing around, because they are going to be the parents of the childrens in in that school. But even then, it's gets a little bit more sad because, you know, public school by and large is just. At this point, it's like, it's like, I don't know, it's like a painted target. And anytime anybody needs something to, it's like uh, either a distraction or a sentiment change in politics, well, all of a sudden, lo and behold, it is pick one of any school that you want and go shoot it up. Do I know that that's what happened? No, but this is, this pattern is getting weird. But why I say you might want to stay away from this is one for mental clarity. Two, I don't think anybody really knows exactly what happened. There's so many reports of so many different things and so many odd things that it it just it again it doesn't add up. But this one, this one, some of the details are like, huh? I don't, I don't understand anything about this. It doesn't even sound like human nature. So, you know, if you want to go check it out, by all means, go check it out. But if you want to, you know. If you want to like not be all weirded out over the weekend, I'd stay as far away from the Texas school shooting story as I possibly could. I know I'm I'm going to do my level best to do that. Also, if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0, just go ahead and do it. Learn how to do it. Learn lightning. And and honestly, Podcasting 2.0 is the perfect way to start learning what lightning is. Okay. Why? Well, you don't necessarily have to set up your own node. You don't have to know, you don't have to set up your own Bitcoin node. You don't have to, which you'd have to have if you were going to make a lightning node. You don't have to do that. But you can start learning how to use a lightning wallet and how to fund that wallet. Sure, that wallet is probably going to be non-custodial and or, or rather a custodial wallet. So somebody else holds your keys, but just put in like 10 bucks. You know, I've lost a $10 bill. It didn't kill me. And that way you can listen to this podcast through any one of the podcasting 2.0 podcasting apps and stream me Satoshi's. And then you'll start to get a feel of the lightning network at an entry level point. And I think that that's important going forward because lightning is getting better and better and better and better. And for all the people that are like, I really, I feel like I'm late to the party on learning about this shit. No, you're not. And you can start with podcasting 2.0. And if you just don't have that, have it within you and you just don't want to do that shit, uh, my Patreon page is patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. See you on the other side. Have a good weekend. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.